Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your loving kindness to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that we can gather this morning and come to your word. We ask, Father, that you might help us by your Spirit to understand it for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. History has a way of repeating itself, doesn't it? It has a way of repeating itself in all different spheres and avenues of life, whether it be with family or relationships, maybe even economically, politically. History repeats itself, and sometimes we can remember history and learn some lessons from it. Sometimes it happens again, and we think, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Well, this morning, as we continue to look at the book of Jude... Uh, We're going to see how history can repeat itself and really serve as a reminder to us of things we so often and so quickly can forget. If you remember last week, or maybe you weren't here, we began looking at the book of Jude and we looked at the first four verses of Jude. And just a brief refresher, uh, so we remember what's been going on in the book of Jude, but Jude was writing this letter to Christians in the early church. And he had intended to write another letter, but something's come up that's caused him to change course and write the letter that we have in the Bible, this letter that Jude wrote to these early Christians. And in this letter, he's really calling these Christians to do one thing, and that is to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He's exhorting them, encouraging them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend is to really earnestly strive and struggle, to exert effort for the faith. And the reason that he's writing this is because of the false teachers, the heretics or apostates that have snuck in and crept into the church and are among the people. And Jude wants them to realize, here they are among you, you must contend for the faith. We contend for the faith as those, he said, who are the called, the beloved in the Father, and those who are kept for Jesus Christ. As you belong to him, contend for the faith, he says. And the reason we contend for it as well is because it is the faith. It is the one and only faith, the true faith. We saw that this faith is really talking about the objective truth of what we believe. And at the core of that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, you must contend for this. There are others among you. There are others out there who say, well, here's a a different take on that. Or here's a new faith. Or here's what I believe. And he says, no, there is no other. There is one true faith of the one true living God. And you must contend for it as those who belong to Christ. Well, this morning... We're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to start in verse 5 and we're going to work our way through the rest of the book of Jude this morning. And we're going to be looking at how Jude uses some historical events or things that have happened in the past uh, to really serve as some reminders for the early Christians that he's writing to. And we're going to see five reminders as you contend for the faith, five reminders as you contend for the faith. Now there is a lot going on in the rest of the book of Jude. There's a, a lot of things we won't have time to cover because we don't want to get too lost in the details uh, so that we don't miss the big picture of what's going on. So a lot to cover. 
I think Pat always says, put your tray tables up and all that kind of stuff. I prefer saddle up your horses. We have a trail to blaze. So um, some of you get that. So we're going to see five reminders as we contend for the faith this morning. Let's begin with the first reminder. And that first reminder is that judgment will come. Judgment will come. What happens in verse 5 is Jude continues what he's already mentioned in verse 4. If you remember in verse 4, you can look there even now. Jude says that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Now, when he says they're designated long ago for this condemnation, he's going to kind of take that and expand it in the unfolding verses beginning in verse 5. And Jude really wants to remind the Christians and us that Jesus is the Savior, yes, but he is also judge. And so he brings some examples, things that have happened, taken place, to serve as a reminder to these he's writing to that Jesus is the judge. He is a just judge. And he's saying, don't have anything to do with these false teachers, for their end is sure. It is condemnation what they were designated long ago for. Don't follow them. Don't be swayed by them because their end is judgment. Using examples from history is something that uh, the Apostle Paul even does in 1 Corinthians. You see in 1 Corinthians 10 where the Apostle Paul in verses 6 and 11 says that these things took place as examples for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. So Jude, doing the same thing, takes these examples and provides them as an example so that these people might not be swayed to drift, to follow these false teachers. And remember that judgment will come. Now, there's a lot of verses in this judgment section, and it's important to remember that Jude is, yes, he's calling out the false teachers. He's, he's pointing them out, addressing them, calling them what they are, Uh, But also keep in mind that Jude is trying to encourage and exhort Christians at the same time. This isn't just a come down on the false teacher's moment. There's also encouragement and exhortation for the Christians. Encouragement to contend for the faith. Uh, There's also the warning, don't follow them. But also, too, I think of uh, Psalm 73 and uh, similar situations where sometimes, even as you're contending the faith, life can be hard and it can seem like the false teachers are unbelievers who are advocating for things that are against the gospel, can just seem to prosper. And nothing bothers them. Nothing seems to set them back. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 73, this doesn't make sense. But then he says, oh, but I consider their end, that you have put them in slippery places. Their end will come. Judgment will come. And for me, the nearness of God is my good. He is the strength and portion that I look to. So there's encouragement to be found even as we see this reminder that judgment will come. Let's look at verse 5 where Jude begins to use all these examples of people who are disobedient, ungodly, attacking the gospel, attacking God and his authority, and what ended up coming for them was judgment. Look at verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So this is something they already know. 
And he's reminding them, he says, something you have heard before, but something you may have forgotten. So I'm going to remind you that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So the example is Israel delivered from Egypt. I said I didn't want to get stuck in all the details, but this one's too important not to mention. Notice who he says saved the people out of the land of Egypt. He says Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroyed those who did not believe Jesus. It's possible that these false teachers are saying and trying to advance the heresy that Jesus is not God. Although he claimed to be, he's not really God. But here, Judas trying to highlight and bring attention to the fact that Jesus is God. He is very God of very God, the eternal son of God. Jesus even said this of himself in John chapter 8, verse 58, when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He's referring to the pre-incarnate Christ involved even in these historical events that took place. Just fascinating to see that Judas reading his Old Testament in light of Christ and what he has done. Interesting to draw attention to that. But in the example of Israel... Jude brings them up to say, here are these people who have been saved by God, delivered from their bondage, their slavery in Egypt, and now what do they do? Well, they go about, we learn in the Old Testament, being grumblers and complainers. People who are now free from slavery say, okay, now I'm just going to go on doing what I want to do because I don't really like what God has set up for us here. I want to pursue the things I want. In fact, that led them to pursue all sorts of sins, sexual immorality, worshiping false gods. And Jude highlights what happened. They were destroyed. Those who did not believe ultimately is their unbelief in God. We see from Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they were unable to enter, it says, because of unbelief. This is like the false teachers who have crept into the church. They're in the middle of the community of the people. And what do they do? They grumble. They complain. They say, we want to do as we please and pursue all sorts of sins and pleasures. And yet Judah is saying, remember, things like this have happened before. And what was their end? Judgment. Move on to the next example in verse 6, talking about angels. Jude says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, there's quite a bit of discussion about this verse. A lot of discussion as to what it's specifically referring to. could be referring to the fallen angels with Satan. could be referring to uh, an interpretive tradition of Genesis 6 and angels coming to marry women on earth. But regardless of what specific thing Jude has in mind, the point is the same. These angels have been given a proper place of authority, Jude is saying. And what do they do? They leave it. They desert it for something else, for something that they want. They deny God's authority and his created order and pursue what they think is best, what they desire, what they want. And what is their end? They're kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Their end is judgment. 
And the people would have no doubt understood what Jude was referring to because the society then was very much built upon your status and your position. You need to stay in your lane and don't go out of it. And so they would have quickly picked up on the fact that that's what Jude was trying to highlight. These false teachers are not staying in their lane. They're denying God's authority. They're saying, God has no authority over me. I can do as I please. He says, well, look what happened to the fallen angels. Judgment. Remember that judgment will come to these false teachers, to those who follow them, to those who are led astray. Don't forget. And the third example he uses, verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah well. Genesis thirteen thirteen says that they were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. We know that they pursued all sorts of sexual immorality, pursuing unnatural desires, even as Jude highlights here. They're going against God's created order. They're denying his authority. They're pursuing sexual immorality. And what's their end? Judgment. Condemnation. Well, then in verse 8, after giving these examples, Jude does something he's going to do a few times throughout the letter, and he's going to now apply that and draw attention to how this relates to the false teachers and heretics among them in the church. Look at verse 8. He says, Yet in like manner, these people, so these false teachers among you, just like these examples, relying on their dreams in verse 8, he says, defile the flesh. They reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. So now Jude applying this to these false teachers. He says, they rely on their dreams. They're those who say that they've received new revelation from God. Oh, God has told us these things. Listen to what we have to say and follow us. No, Judas say they're dreamers. They're those who are lying about re- receiving false revelation from God and saying that we should follow them. And look what they do. They defile the flesh. They pursue the passions of the flesh. They're lustful, sinful pleasures that they pursue. And they reject authority, just like these examples we've given. The angels rejected God's authority. And these false teachers among you, they reject authority as well. And he says they blaspheme the glorious ones. They're against God and his angels that he is put in a position of authority and now alluding us to the next example he says the end of these heretics it's the exact same end as these examples judgment condemnation remember that judgment will come sometimes it seems like it won't come it's never coming they look like they're just prospering living it up having their way but judgment will come do not forget don't be enticed don't follow them another example he uses verse 9 But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now here, Jude is referring to a story from an extra-biblical text. And he's using it to reinforce what he's already said earlier. Those understanding their authority... And this is a story they would have known and heard well in this day. And in this account, we have the archangel, the chief angel, Michael, contending with 
Satan over the body of Moses. Moses has died and there's this contending over his body to see who can bury him or have his body. And ultimately, the point of the example is that Michael understands his rightful place. He understands that God is the one who judges. Just like we read in Psalm 50 earlier this morning, it's God himself who will judge. He has no authority, no place to exact judgment or to pass judgment on Satan. So he says, the Lord rebuke you. Similar to Zechariah chapter 3, where we see a very, very similar example. The Lord rebuke you. It's God's place to judge. He and he alone is judge, not me. So I'm going to stay in my lane and not usurp God's authority. Then in verse 10, Jude continues to draw this to something that they would understand with the false teachers among them. He says, But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So now he's uh, applying this to the false teachers again, and he's saying they don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even understand God and who he is. They don't understand Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us on the cross. They don't understand salvation. They don't understand what the faith is. They blaspheme all that they don't understand. Unlike Michael, who understood. And these false teachers, they just act with their basic instinct, like unreasoning animals, doing what they want in the moment for their own pleasure, for their own gain. They just do what they want, do what they please. And they don't understand. And their end is judgment. You must remember Jude says. You know, there's a sense in which Jude is really trying to help these first century Christians and us see that you cannot expect to go on doing these things that the false teachers are doing and you cannot expect to follow them and everything to just turn out fine. You cannot drag the name of Christ and the gospel through the mud and expect there to be no consequence. Something that was also in the scripture reading this morning. God said, I was silent and you expected that nothing would happen. I am the judge and I will mete out judgment. Judgment will come, he says. More examples Jude provides. Now in verse 11, three examples kind of strung together here. He says, woe to them, pronouncing judgment. Jude is pronouncing judgment on these false teachers. Woe to them, verse 11, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. He uses the examples of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So the example of Cain, we know the story well from Genesis chapter 4. Cain knows exactly what God requires of him, what God calls him to do. And what's he do? He rejects God and his commands and his authority, and he murders his brother, Abel. He doesn't really seem to think it's a possibility that God would actually do something as a result of his disobedience, that there would actually be consequence. And then he uses the example of Balaam. You remember the story of Balaam and his donkey? from Numbers 22 and following, Balaam was hired by the king of Moab. You see, the king of Moab really wanted to get rid of and 
and have victory over the Israelites. So he offered Balaam everything, riches beyond belief. He offered it all to him and said, if you'll come and prophesy and curse the people of Israel, that would really help me in defeating them. Well, Balaam comes and the Lord says, only speak what I say. And it turns out to be blessing and blessing and blessing, not curse, curse, curse. And so Balaam leaves it. And yet he really wants all that money. So he thinks of another way that they might be able to defeat Israel. And as he's leaving, he says, you know, Moabites, if you entice the men of Israel with your women, that ought to do it. And so we see later in the book of Numbers that that's exactly what happens, that the men of Israel are enticed by the women of Moab. And as they're yoked to them, they're yoked to the false god Baal. And then judgment and destruction is brought upon Israel. Another example of someone who's pursuing his own gain, like these false teachers, and what happens? Judgment, destruction. And the third example here is the example of Korah, who mounted a rebellion against Moses because he wasn't happy with his lot in life and his station. He wanted to climb the ladder, as it were, and be in a different place, a different status. And we see his end is the earth opens up and swallows Korah and those who are in the rebellion with him. Judgment comes. And then Jude again says, these people, verse 12, these are hidden reefs at your love feast, applying this now to the false teachers, hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. A big string of pictures, imagery of what these false teachers are like and the judgment and the condemnation they will bring if you would follow them. He says they're in their love feast. They're at their love feast. This would be the gathering of the church, gathering together to enjoy the meal and the fellowship together, possibly even involving the Lord's Supper. And he says they're right there among you. They're in the middle of your community right there. And they have no fear being a part of you. They've crept in unnoticed. And he says that they're hidden reefs. As they're among you, they're hidden. You don't even recognize them. And they're like rocks, hidden reefs in the water that when you run into them or something happens, what's going to happen? Your ship is going to be wrecked. You'll be destroyed. There'll be judgment, condemnation. Also, he says they're like shepherds feeding themselves. Very much like Ezekiel 34 talking about the shepherds who are selfish, looking out for themselves, feeding themselves. What are shepherds supposed to be? Those who look after the sheep, love the sheep, care for the sheep. These false teachers, he's saying, look what they're doing. They're all about themselves and their own gain, just like Balaam was. He says they're waterless clouds. It's like when we really need rain and the clouds come and you get excited for the rain. Maybe your garden or the crops need the rain and what happens it gets blown away and there is no rain. It, it promises a lot. It promises to deliver, but there's nothing. These false teachers, they promise you a lot, but they will not deliver. He says they're like wild waves tossed around. There's chaos created. There's no stability. Like Isaiah 57 verse 20, but the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet. They bring up nothing but judgment and condemnation. And finally, he says they're like wandering stars. If you were to follow them to guide you home, you would not end up where you were supposed to be. You would be lost. 
And he says they're reserved for the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This judgment, condemnation. You get the sense from all these verses that Jude is really trying to drive home the fact that these false teachers among you, don't be swayed by them. Don't be enticed by them. Understand what they really are. They're heretics. They're opposed to the gospel. This is why you must contend for the gospel. Contend for the faith. Don't follow them because judgment will come. Don't forget. It can look like a really appealing life. But don't be persuaded. Judgment will come. And then in verse 14, he continues to bring attention to the fact that judgment will come. He says, it was also in verse 14 about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Another example, a quotation from an extra-biblical source here, one that would have been well-known to the people and perhaps even a source that the false teachers were using among the people. And so it's kind of like a, let's talk about what they would want to talk about. Here's what it says. But what it says and what he's quoting line exactly with the truth of God and his word in scripture, that God will come to judge the ungodly. Notice that emphasis of the ungodly in verses 14 and 15. These people, these false teachers, their ungodly judgment will come because of their ungodliness. And then as if he's had enough in verse 16, he says, these people, let's call them what they are. These people are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. They grumble, just like the people of Israel. They're not content. They think they should have a better position. And so they think only of themselves. They're loud mouth boasters. They're arrogant, prideful, arrogant against others, arrogant against God himself, denying his authority. And they do it all to gain advantage. They'll take advantage of you so that they can gain the upper hand. These people, he's saying, are in the business of religion. Do not follow them. Don't be swayed by them. Avoid them at all costs. And you must contend for the faith. Because there are people advocating for false gospels, false teaching, attacking the one true faith of the one true living God. Don't forget, judgment will come. Okay, we have four more reminders to make our way through here. That's a heavy load there, a heavy portion of Jude. He really wants us to understand that judgment will come. You've got to understand, don't forget, he's saying. But then he provides some other reminders for those to his writing and for us as well. A second reminder as you contend for the faith. Remember to be on guard. Remember to be on guard. Look at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Here he wants them to remember to be on guard and he calls attention to what they've heard from the apostles themselves. And they've said that there will be scoffers in these last times. There's no specific reference here that he's calling attention to, but certainly something that you see throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself even warns of this. In the last days, we so often read, there will be scoffers, there will be mockers. We know that these last days or this last time is not some future time or some future day they're waiting for, but it's the present time that they are in and we are in that began with the advent of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2 helps us see this. He, speaking of Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So these apostles have foretold, they predicted that this is exactly what will happen. And look, it's happening. So you need to be on guard. The apostles warned you of this very thing. There will be scoffers and mockers among you. Those who are ridiculing and trying to bring shame and dishonor to Christ and the gospel, the one true faith. They will be there, so you need to be on guard. Don't let your guard down when they aren't among you, when you don't intersect with them, when you don't see them. Don't let your guard down because they will come in the last days. You must be on guard. They are those who are just going to follow their own godly, ungodly passions, it says. He said this time and time again. You'll see them, you'll notice them by the way that they live and choose to pursue whatever they want the sinful lust of the flesh. Then he says, you must not let your guard down because these are, in verse 19, who cause divisions. They cause divisions. They are those who are going to take what should be brought together and united the church and they're going to tear it apart. They're going to cause division. If you follow them, you'll be a part of those tearing apart what should be united. Paul in Romans 16, 17 says something very similar. I think it's helpful. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. Let's be on guard. To watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, he says. And then he says, finally, at the end of verse 19, they are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. See them for what they are. They're unbelievers. They're unregenerate. You have the Holy Spirit as those who are called, as those who are beloved, who are kept for Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit. They don't. They're worldly people, unbelievers, and they will cause division. Be on guard for them. You must know the faith, so that you can watch for these people. This is true for us. We have to know the true gospel. We have to know the faith, the content that we believe that is contained for us in the scriptures so that we can watch, so we can be on guard, so that we can know when someone is promoting something that is not true against the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can watch for that. We can contend for that. And we can promote the faith. And we can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is encouragement to us, reminders to us. We must be on guard. We can't let our guard down. And this is not only something that happens with leaders in the church. It happens everywhere with anyone that you meet and talk to. Be on guard. doesn't mean we have to fight all the time. doesn't mean we have to be antagonistic all the time. But we can, in a loving way, contend for the faith. Be on guard. Don't forget. A third reminder... As we contend for the faith, a third reminder is keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look at verse 20. But you, beloved, so you opposed to these false teachers, opposed to these heretics, these who are opposed to the gospel. But you, verse 20, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Judas, he's been exhorting the Christians to be on guard, to contend for the faith, and to not be swayed and led astray by these false teachers among them. So here he says, but instead what you ought to be doing is you ought to be keeping yourselves in the love of God. How are you going to contend your faith, contend for the faith? Well, remember to keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been interesting throughout the book of Jude, if you've picked up at all, that there's been this idea of keeping, even from the very beginning, We are those who are kept for Jesus Christ. And then you have the false teachers who have not kept themselves in their right place. You've had angels who have rejected God's authority and they've not kept their place. Instead, they've sought after what they've wanted. And here, Judah is saying, don't be like them. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Remain in the love of God. Stay in the love of God. Flee from this apostasy. Keep your proper place. This idea of being sanctified, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. This is what you ought to be about as those who are in Christ. You ought to be pursuing Him. You ought to be those who want to obey, want to honor Him with their life because you belong to Him. It's out of gratitude and thanksgiving that you continue to pursue Him. You behold Him so that you might become like Him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is what you ought to pursue, to be transformed into the image of His Son. And he's saying, notice that this is not something that's only by yourself. He says, beloved, building yourselves, keep yourselves. Notice the corporate aspect of that. It's something we do as the church. When he says to build yourselves up in the most holy faith, you together, yes, as individuals do this, but you together be built up in the faith, the most holy faith. As we gather together and we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, You're built up in the faith, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We labor together. We strive together to do this. Building on the foundation of the faith and nothing else. This other quote-unquote faiths that you're hearing of. He says to be praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Again, drawing attention to they were those who were devoid of the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Depend upon His strengthening and giving you ability to pray and seek after the things of God. We know that this even reminds us of Romans 8 where the Spirit intercedes for us praying when we don't have words. And then he says, as you do this, you're to be waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. As you're doing these things, as you're living your life as worship in gratitude that you have been called and chosen of God because of what Christ has done for you. As you do this, be busy waiting for the glorious appearing of our Lord, waiting for the mercy to be revealed. This is opposed to the judgment that these false teachers and those who are opposed to the gospel are going to receive. Look what is reserved for you. Mercy, grace, salvation. I love Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As you are contending for the faith, keep your eyes focused, looking for the appearing of Christ, the one who has saved you and redeemed you, who has transformed you, transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, into his marvelous light. Be those who are seeking to put off your old self and put on a new self in Christ by the power of the Spirit in us to sanctify us. Be those who, out of gratitude and thanksgiving for your standing in Christ, now seek to honor Him with your life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Remember to do these things. Remember to be zealous for good works. Why? Because He has prepared them beforehand that we would walk in them for His glory, for His honor. Do these things not to earn his favor, not to earn salvation, but as those who have a sure and secure salvation in Christ alone, do these things. Remember to keep yourselves in the love of God as you contend for the faith. This is the hope of the believer. This is our hope. A fourth reminder as we're contending for the faith is to show mercy to others. Show mercy to others. Look with me in verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There's some debate as to whether Judah is referring to two or three groups of people that you ought to show mercy to. But here he's saying to have mercy on others, particularly those who are doubting, those who are kind of thinking, well, maybe I might be curious or interested in what they're saying. These false teachers, these heretics among you. Well, that seems interesting. That kind of is appealing. I might entertain that a little bit. Or it might perhaps be even those who have gone so far as to be 
almost in the fire, those who have had their garments stained by the flesh, she says, referring to those who have been enticed by this sinful lifestyle of the false teachers who have been led astray. Garments stained of flesh, probably referring to Zechariah 3 again as he did earlier, the imagery represented of that sinful life. Those sins that the heretics are all about. Be careful, he's saying. But he's saying to show mercy to them. To The idea is to go after them. Don't just sit back idly and watch and be like, oh, well. But no, go after them. Pursue them. Point them back to the faith. Point them back to the true gospel. Point them back to Christ, their Savior, the one who has saved and redeemed them. Don't allow them to go without seeking them out. Go and snatch them out of the fire. He says, they're playing with fire. Literally, go after them. Maybe those who need a compassionate outreach. Those who need you to come alongside lovingly. And then there may be those who need the more forceful snatching. Grab them out. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This is something we ought to be doing as we see others struggling as they're contending for the faith. And then Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So as you're mercifully going after others, be careful, be on guard, lest you too be tempted. And then fifth and finally, a reminder as you're contending for the faith is to rest and rejoice in God our Savior. Rest and rejoice in God our Savior. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude ends his letter with a doxology. He ends with praise to our great God. And in the beginning of this doxology, I love how it calls us to remember to rest. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, as you're contending for the faith, it can involve a lot of effort maybe contending effort as you're interacting with those who seemingly have their best life now, which it is their best life. Now it can trouble you. Life can be hard. It can be difficult as you're committed to the one true faith clinging to Christ. He says, don't be discouraged, but rest in God who alone is able to keep you just like the very first verse of the letter. There's bookends here. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept. You are kept. You are being guarded. 
You've been given the Holy Spirit, a deposit of the inheritance waiting for you. You are being guarded. You are being kept. He will lose none of us, we see in the book of John. You are being guarded. You are being kept. Rest in him, not yourself. The the message of Jude is not, you better get busy doing things so that you don't end up like them. We sing, as you belong to Christ, out of gratitude and thanksgiving, contend for the faith and remember that it is he alone who can keep you. It is he alone who is able to present you as blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Rest in him and then rejoice in God our Savior, this doxology. Praise him, give glory to him, the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. He is worthy of all our praise. And he calls back to some of these themes we've seen throughout. He has all authority. Don't think for a moment that he doesn't as they are trying to promote among you. But he alone has all authority. Give him glory and honor and praise now and forever. So as you're contending for the faith, Don't forget that judgment will come. So we need to be on guard. Be watchful, be mindful that there are those who will attack the gospel. And so we must know the faith. We have to understand the faith, understand the true gospel so that we can contend. Keep yourselves in the love of God and show mercy to others as you rest and rejoice in God, our Savior. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the finished work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that we are those who are trusting in Christ and we are those who are kept. And that is you alone who is able to keep us for a salvation ready to be revealed. Help us to be those who are waiting for the glorious appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us, that we might renounce ungodliness and seek to live in a way that would honor and please you out of gratitude and thanksgiving. Help us to be those who boldly contend for the faith, to be those who know the faith in such a way that we can stand together, linking arms, striving side by side for the progress of the gospel. May we be the church that is the pillar and buttress for the truth. For your name's sake and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.